You're listening to. And what is poppin', everybody? It is Thursday, March the 31st, 2022. This is episode 98. Is it 98? Yes, 98 of the Good Pop Culture Club. My name is Marvin Yu, and join me, as always, to talk about all the good pop that gets us through our days. We have self-proclaimed professional Asian-American Jess Ju. Hello. Up, Hello. How's it going? I am thick in work, and I'm tired. Mm, this week has been rough for a lot of us. It's like something in something and astrology i don't know but <laughs> yeah astrology monday was like i think it was the rain the rain was bad the ra- monday it was rough. rained all day here in la not to like you know we shouldn't talk about weather but it's a it's a notable thing when it rains here in la these days yeah yeah it harshes the vibe <laughs> uh but it's very much needed so yay i guess yeah, yeah. are we yeah because we're back in drought right yeah, we got out for a while, and then we're back. Are we, we're already back in drought. Yeah, it's going to be <sighs> a bad drought season this year, I believe. No, uh, but so it, when it comes to fire, decent amount. I don't know. I mean, you know what happens That's when depressing. LA's in drought? We steal our water from other places. Mm. Yeah, that's not great. Sorry, Nevada <laughs> and Owens. Sorry, LA specifically. Sorry. <laughs> also joining us. Professional culture editor Han Win. Hey Han. Hey hey. How's it going? How I'm are you? Right. Are you busy? Did something important happen over the weekend? Yes, but here's the thing. What happened today was we had a little mini press tour. A what? Um, just an FX day, but it was from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. So I was I I broke out my second computer, put on the virtual panels. And like listening as much as I could, but honestly, I was just working. Like, Jeez. but I just couldn't do another extra press press tour day. Just when um, you thought you were out, they pull yeah. you back in. Yeah. So, uh, so this summer we're gonna try. We'll see. Try to do an in person press tour, and I think it would be a luxury to have just only two three weeks maybe only i don't know but we'll see about that like right now it's fingers crossed i'm not gonna jinx anything because i'm just at, <laughs> at this point assuming not it's not gonna happen who knows we'll see but. what gets here first press tour or omicron version 2.0 right another yeah, variant too. i think yeah. we're i think we're all kind of so discouraged that we just are expecting the worst so we're like okay we have until the end of april to commit to uh, you know, booking the hotel and all that type of stuff. So I mean, didn't they just okay like jab number four? Like, I I don't know if that's actually okay. They're discussing it, I believe. <laughs> and, and, and apparently, I, there's like diminishing returns with jab number four. Like, yeah, because they haven't figured out the Omicron like response yet. Because since number you know the the booster is is resistant. You know, so they haven't actually formulated, I don't think, a response to Omicron. So jab number four might just marginally help you, but maybe not enough well, because it's, it might still break through. Anyway, well, fun times. At least we're going back to normal in the country. <laughs> What's normal? Wait, what do you mean? <laughs> anyway, I don't agree. I don't agree. <laughs> 
I mean, <laughs> I'm just going to be the voice of doom until something good happens. It's that? fine. That's that's kind of that's kind of our vibe here. We're I think we're all very pessimistic people in this in this on this podcast. That's why we're very devoted to our reality shows because those outcomes are acceptable. <laughs> Except when they're bad. I tried watching Even, episode three of the courtship. I couldn't. I just couldn't anymore. Oh, you actually tried. I stopped. <laughs> If it's not, I, on I was Peacock. like, I don't even know if I can do that. I'm just, I'm just watching the things I know will make me happy, and like, we'll deal with everything else later. <laughs> I was like, why am I watching this when Bridgerton is out already? I should just watch that. Yeah, especially when I gave up. Um, <laughs> like, I think I had fun talking about it on the podcast because it was so bad, but it actually that was more fun than actually watching it. So. Uh. Well, it's the end of the month. So on this episode, we're doing our monthly Asian American entertainment news check-in. Um, do we want this? But before we get to that, let's find out what pop culture is bringing us through the week. Um, so let's start with Jess. What's popping? I watched The Lost City of Z, the new Sandra Bullock and Channing Tatum movie about a, rom- a reclusive romance author who gets kidnapped by Harry Potter, a.k.a. Dan Radcliffe. <laughs> And is rescued by her cover model, played by uh, Channing Tatum. And you know what? It is delightful. It is what I thought. I'm not going to lie. I It is what I call a phone movie. Like, mm-hmm. I would have really liked to have my phone out and just, like, text through it. Like, that would have stimulated both sides of my mm-hmm. ADD social media adult brain. But, you know, it was very, it was funny. Sandra Bullock is fantastic with the physical comedy, as is Channing Tatum. Mm-hmm. I love the... You know, I'm I'm a big fan of horny books, and this mm-hmm. this movie is ultimate very ultimately very horny books. I feel like it didn't lean enough into some of those mm. tropes. I would have liked a little more, um, kind of deep dive in that. But I just I think it's I think it's written by a bunch of men. Oh, Ooh. is it? Is it? Hold on, let's check it. Let's go to the I, tape. Let's let I, me let me, go to let me Google this. <laughs> well, I very much want to see this, so I'm excited. Everyone has told me it's exactly what you want it to be, except maybe you could push it a little bit more. Um, but having seen two movies over two weekends, I'm now ready for the third movie this coming weekend. So maybe it'll <laughs> be The Lost City. Yes. So it is directed by two. Brothers, the Knee Brothers. It was co-written by uh, a woman who wrote Diana Dana Fox, who wrote The Wedding Date, which is I do like that. That's like the bad. Um, which one is what that is one? Grace from Will and Grace? It's where Dermot Mulroney's like the escort that she hires to bring her to her sister's <gasps> wedding. Oh, I need to watch that. I it's, love fake dating. Yeah, it's pretty oh good. It's pretty bad, but it's like pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, there it was it was really fun. I will say the best parts were probably uh, you know, a a fun Brad Pitt cameo. Mm. And yeah, is that but a I do wish or is that a they did not advertise it, but I don't think it's necessarily like a super <laughs> well kept secret. So that that's fun. Um I, I do feel like they could have leaned a little more into the romance tropes and Mm -hmm. i will say the um maybe the the, like way that the like natives is portrayed is maybe not ideal it's not offensive necessarily more the construct is just generally offensive as opposed to like explicitly offensive because it is a bunch of like white people romping through like this Mm -hmm. former spanish colony island yeah, um, and like making up a cu- making up a lost culture kind of vibe, as yeah, they I are mean, want to do. We were saturated with the ads during the Olympic season, right? Was yes. it the Olympics? Yeah. yeah. So like 
you know, we all know what this is. It's a throwback to like the action adventure days of like Romance in the Stone and I mm-hmm. guess Jungle Cruise, if you want to go. Yeah, it's just early. like, yes, it's so. just like a little hard at this point, I think, in our culture and pop culture wanting to not be as like blatantly offensive as they were because it is like, you know, that pulpy like movie, like adventure movies. But at the same time, you don't like, like to, to have to be accurate entirely accurate is maybe like a step too far in like budget and effort for a movie like this let's be real this is like a streamer movie <laughs> um i actually think dora the explorer movie did a really great <laughs> compromise i think they have so far been the most successful like if you made the mm-hmm. mummy today like you can't do straight up the mummy right the mummy is a relic of the 90s and we give it passes but I mean, you know, they you tried know, like, to make a mummy with the in... Tom Cruise version. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, we, let's not talk about that. But, like, the mummy is based in, like, an actual ancient civilization, right? Mm-hmm. Like, this is a very, like, vague kind of made up ancient mm-hmm. civilization, which is, again, like, not great. But also, mm-hmm. I understand, like, not wanting to use a real civilization because <laughs> that would also be not great. So, I think it's, like, straddling that line. Overall, it's a really fun time. Um, Channing Tatum is very attractive. Sandra Bullock is very attractive. Uh, Daniel Radcliffe is always really fun to see, like chaos. Dan Radcliffe, yes, his like crazy he's, eyes. He's really good at playing he's like my crazy favorite megalomaniac like villain. Yeah, um, and you know what? It just feels like everyone had a really fun time filming this, and I respect that. Yeah, who would have thought that Harry Potter would make a better megalomaniacal villain than like Jesse Eisenberg? Oh, I mean, they should, have they done a movie together yet? Oh, they have. It's it was. Now you see me too. Duh. Yeah, that was a yeah. fantastic movie. Hello, number two. Um, How yeah. dare I besmirch Now You See Me Too, which starred C pop idol J Chow. <laughs> yeah. I do Hi, love. Um, I don't know. Are you getting burnt out by A list action stars playing himbos? Or is this no, like the world that will never run dry? Love. Well, if there is one person that can and should play a himbo, it is Channing, Channing Tatum. Tatum. Yeah, he is very good at it. Um, yeah. There are some people I don't need to see play himbos because, like Chris Pratt, like can go retire yeah, no. at this point. <laughs> yeah, but like no, um, we love Channing Tatum himbo energy, and because and like if anyone is more himbo, like I, I think if anyone were to be himbo in real life, like it would be Channing Tatum. Because mm-hmm. remember when the Sony leak happened and there <laughs> they released there was like this one email from. Channing Tatum that got leaked and it was just him emailing the producer about how successful 22 Jump Street was and it was just like Kate Blanchett ah! <laughs> like like that's just pure himbo energy nothing bad mm-hmm. leaked out from his emails it was just like pure joy and he misspelled something <laughs> that's what we want yes. we want more of that yes he's he, since he's so far and I'm not gonna jinx anything is is a good guy but I like him still you know I oh I'm, yeah and if I'm tomorrow fine. something shoe dropped I wouldn't be surprised but like as of now what we know yeah good energy yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right Han what's happening with you um so I can't I don't think I've brought this up before but basically um Atlanta is back and uh we are entering its uh second week I believe since it's returned so basically Atlanta, like the first two seasons, like blew me away. Second season was even better than the first. Um, all I have to say. So they actually filmed this during the pandemic in Europe. So it was very interesting because they said that they had unprecedented access to like museums and things like that, where literally nobody was around on the streets or whatever. They had to actually bring in extras to be, you know, 
play that stuff. Uh, and um, so what's interesting to me is just literally based on the first two episodes, I feel like this is going to be even better than before, which is interesting because um, they're exploring a little bit this season on what it means to be black outside of America. Mm-hmm. So at in the heart of colonialism, basically, <laughs> you know, where it, where it originated, which is in Europe. Um, so and then they are, of course, finding that it's just as strong there, you know. <laughs> um, but uh, what's nice is because this is the age of FX now having its really strong partnership uh, because everything's bought by ABC Disney. Um, so they are actually also on Hulu. So you can watch it like you don't have to wait for the cable to go. And then finally it gets on Hulu. You can watch it um, the week of release on Hulu. So I think I'm hoping that that means people are going to keep up with it. Um, So the first two episodes were out. The first episode, in fact, is interesting because it is a one off. It's I don't know if you seem to recall the um, real life case of these um, these two white women. I think they're married. They might have been married. And uh, who basically like drove off in a van into a river with yes with their foster children and their foster children are all black. So that was fucked up. Yeah. So the basically the first episode is sort of discusses that, but has characters. So we see that sort of foster family that they created. It's not literally the same one, but you know, but it's clearly inspired by. And you, so you see it from the point of view of one of the kids who becomes their foster child. Um, and of course, it is creepy. It's fucked up. They're very granola. They're using all the right words, but it's just this <laughs> attitude of foreboding. And it's, it's like that get out but, energy, right? Get right, out right. Energy. Oh my God. So scary. So that's a one off. But then the second episode is picks up with urn and um paperboy and all the people you know from atlanta and it's still it's like one of those shows where you're watching you're like okay i kind of see what they're doing that there that's a little weird it's a little surreal and all of a sudden they're like holy shit um <laughs> there are a few holy shit moments especially in the second episode near the end um so i just i i'm glad it's back i feel like it's it's maybe people will understand it more knowing what the world's been going through and being more aware and, you know, now that people forgot, you know, that they used to attend Black Lives Matter parades, <laughs> you know, Oof. like, you know, maybe they can remind themselves that, it, you know, racism didn't go away after you, you know, went marching. So No, no, we solved racism and we solved COVID. Right, right, right. They're both gone. Both plagues gone. So, I don't know. I It's one of those shows that, like, some of my friends don't like it, but I find it so creative and so good. And it makes me laugh but also cringe at the same time so it gives me all those like weird feelings um, it has been a while since the last season huh it's like been it's been a while years. yeah it's been two uh, three years maybe um i covered it when i was at indie wire so that tells <laughs> you something i and it's yeah and it's is, been a while is the whole crew back is hero Mirai still directing or yes yes it was really cool because um it you could just like you can tell that they just have such a great rapport so at press tour Hiro Murai was on the panel with all the main actors and then also the um, the writers. So that includes um, Donald Glover's brother, Stephen Glover, who I love. I've talked to him before, um, and I think he might have used my goat yoga story in a, in a script oh. that, that didn't that. Yeah. <laughs> 
in a mockery of white people. So I was like, that's true. Go young is kind of white. I, I admit, fully admit to it. Um, but, uh, and then uh, Stephanie Robinson, who also writes for What We Do in the Shadows. So uh-huh. she's a writer on, yeah. She's, so she started <clears throat> on, on yes. Atlanta. And yes. she's super young. And so she's, she's like, yeah. No, she is like 24. She was like 24 <laughs> when she wrote on Atlanta. And then she was like 26 when she was like, co-running what we do in the shadows yeah. so she's just really cool way cooler than i will ever be but i i so very cool. i very much admire her work um i think she's figured out like how to have like not just like work in a writer's room full of men but also just like she has she has good instincts when it comes to like uh figuring out the tone for two wildly different shows um so yeah, uh, it's, I mean they kind of share that like an absurdist vibe though, right? Yeah, yeah. I think what we do in the shadows is less uh, dark, it, ironically. For, <laughs> yeah, for, for for a vampire show, uh, it's definitely more lighthearted. Um, and <laughs> for a vampire show, that the first episode they're just burying corpses in the backyard. <laughs> it has it has a morbid sense of humor, but it's not yeah. a dark sense of humor, which is totally different. You know, so uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's um, the difference between Taika and I guess Donald Glover, right? Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's true. Absolutely. And you know that they, they both work. They're both one of, some of my favorites, and they're both um, from FX. So yeah, highly recommend both. Anyway, so watch Atlanta. Um, catch up with it if you haven't yet. <laughs> so that's me. Uh, what's popping with you, Marvin? All right, so we'll probably circle back to the show later on when it finishes its run, but um, I started watching Pachinko. More specifically, I watched the first episode because that's the only one you can watch for free without subscribing to Apple TV+, Plus, which I'm holding off until I get more episodes banked so I can just watch them all with the free trial. I do also have other recommendations for shows um, to watch when you have it because that will make it worth your while. Oh, yeah, no, I'm totally watching Severance. Severance. I don't know if Uh, I'm going to watch... Oh, after, after party, party, yes, and maybe foundation. I hear that. I I hear mixed things, so I would mm. definitely check it out. I um, yeah. and there are a few other shows I can probably recommend, like Shining Girls and stuff. I like know that. I should watch Ted Lasso, but I kind of don't feel like watching Ted Lasso, to be honest. I would say put it on the background just so when you catch up, mm. um, so you know what's going on, especially when it comes to the Nate character, which is not great. Mm. But I have to say. <sighs> It is in the conversation, so when it gets to season three, you'll it'll be good. To, yeah. I, anyway. I mean, I like soccer, so you know, or football. Oh, football. I have me. to say, it's not about soccer, really. Oh, no. That is my <laughs> that is my Sorry. number one. That's my number one critique of it is not enough soccer uh, and not enough good soccer. So, right. yeah, it's oh, an American wow. show about soccer, so that tells you something. Mm. Yeah, we don't care about the soccer part. Yeah. Well, Pachinko. Yeah. Is, of course, the adaptation of the much lauded novel by Min Jin Lee. Um, It's adapted by Su Hyu. Um, And yeah, I only watched the first episode so far. It was co-written by Lauren Yee, who is a pretty prominent Asian-American playwright who writes a lot of family dramas, which is kind of Daddy issues. (laughs) For this show. A quick rundown. Um, I'm not going to go deep into what happened just because we're going to be talking about the show later on anyways but um it's a multi-generational family epic about a family of koreans who moved to japan um because of circumstances it starts off in early 1900s korea while it's under colonial rule from japan and then it spans all the way to 1980s um and you know it follows three generations of this family centering on the matriarch um sunja um who you know, you first see as a little girl and then she grows up and she has to deal with just constant 
discrimination and hardships um, in order to carve a place out for herself in this world. And, you know, the, the book itself is like a modern masterpiece. It's basically it's distilled Han, which is like yeah. the Korean it's concept like of so like, sad suffering, but like persevering through the suffering because that's kind of yeah. the state of being for Koreans and as a non-Korean um, and like and- a simmering rage as well right there's, yeah. a, there's an element that, yes. of rage that comes from the like oppression yeah and you know the first line of that novel is um, history has failed us but no matter which is just like the thesis yeah. of the entire book right oh, um, oh my god it's such so a good. it is such a sad book like it is if you have not read it, I would highly recommend you read it. It's at some point. sad, but at the same but time, kind of like ins- it's a story about persevering in the face of like yeah. severe hardship. And it's one of those multi-generational tales that makes you want to learn about your grandparents' story, right? Because if you think about it, most of our grandparents, like especially like us three, and then Han, like your parents even, like their generation, grew up in a time when like it's just constant war in like the Asian continent, right? Like if mm-hmm. you're not fighting the Japanese, you're fighting the Chinese. If you're not fighting the Chinese, you're fighting either the French or the English or even the Americans. It was a tough time to live. And the book itself tells a story of like a diaspora that's not familiar to us as American diaspora mm-hmm. people. It's like Japanese diaspora, which <laughs> some people might be surprised to learn that. Yeah, like, like Asians hate each other. Racist. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it was a bit of a trip when I was uh, in this story when I was like, oh, no, we're the bad guys, too. <laughs> I mean, not we, because neither <clears throat> none of us are neither Korean nor Japanese. But you know, yeah, yeah. growing up in America, you all, you you kind of get the package deal all together. Yeah. That's to say, the book itself, it's it is like if you haven't read it, you definitely read it. And in terms of the adaptation, I'm just gonna go high level. The way that they adapted it, so so the book itself is a linear story. You start with the 1900s with Sunja as a child, and then you end in 1980s with Sunja as like a grandmother. The show itself does it in a kind of like timeline skipping way where you like you have a dual narrative with Sunja in the 1900s with her grandson Solomon in the 1980s and kind of switches back and forth and I have to say I don't know if that's working for me and I think part of the thing is the knowledge that Minjin Lee pieced out of the project like halfway through its production and so as a reader of the book as someone who read the book I'm like watching the show and trying to analyze where exactly the disconnect is, and I think I know what it is, um, but I'm eager to maybe discuss it with you guys later on, what you all think. But there's definitely things that change specifically in the 1980s storyline that I think okay. kind of changes a lot of the story. You've convinced me. I had already downloaded the book, so I'm going to read it first. Um, <laughs> I was always going to read it first, but then this show all of a sudden like premiered, and I'm like, ah, I'm not ready. So, um, but I have all the screeners. I'm going to like. I guess whatever you call it, binge a book, cram yeah. it, <laughs> um, and and get that done because I've already requested an interview for um, to to write about the opening sequence, the main title sequence. I gotta say that is a banger main title sequence. It's I mean. gorgeous, and it also uses a song that we associate with war, but it's also uh, a very joyous one and 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 it's and it also crosses um over all the it mixes all the uh, timelines also yeah it's a pretty it's a very prestige tv opening opening yeah which we can tell you the concept because you should check it out like you will watch and be like your words didn't even do it justice basically it's all the characters um through all the timelines dancing in the pachinko parlor which yeah (laughs) which is 
It's Which is cool. interesting because it is totally the opposite vibes of yes, this entire show story. And the story. Yes, yeah. yes, it's fun. It's fun and gorgeous and happy. And just seeing, especially the youngest actress, like doing her little moves. I was like, yeah. oh, it's beautiful. And I got to say, as much as I'm currently having some issues with the 1980s storyline, the storyline of like Sunja as a child, like the main, the kind of the main storyline is super captivating and shot really well. Um, the first episode ends with your first glimpse of Lee Minho as um, Hansu. Um, I'm excited to see more of this. I'm going to, you know, eventually catch the rest of the season and ch- chat with you guys all about it. It's interesting. Like, I have to divorce myself, like like most adaptations, divorce my expectations as a fan of the book with like what the adaptation is going to yeah, do. You gotta, you gotta let it go. You gotta let it be its own thing. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, I can still reserve the right to like be... Um, be uh, to question, question the choices that they make. <laughs> oh, but. absolutely. You can do both. You can question the choices they make and then also see did it, the choice they make still yeah. work on its own. Yeah. Two things, two different and things. The show is beautiful. It's, you know, and the, the acting is great. I just, I think a lot of my hangups comes from like really loving the book. So, yeah. Um, yeah. That here's is, here's yeah. a pro tip for you, Marvin. You should read books written by bad authors that get adapted <laughs> and it can only get up because love bridgerton i'm gonna see it that that is bridgerton so. yeah we will we will what's that next week we're gonna cover bridgerton i think that'll be a good enough <laughs> enough time for people to catch up i am excited i, hear, I, I do I not know anything things. about julia quinn the person but this is a julia quinn writing sl- sl- what's an anti-stand account yeah i will the the one thing i will say about julia quinn that is very pro her is that she is married to a uh, virologist guy. And so she's been using her account throughout the pandemic to be very pro-vaccines. Awesome. Bare so, minimum. We, I mean, that should be, that's kind of in a, an ideal world, bare minimum, but we know that is not in this world, yeah. in this universe. So good job, Julia Quinn. All right, well, um, that's what's popping for me. Um, Pachinko, check it out. It's worth watching. And, you know, everyone's tweeting about it. It's hard to kind of get reactions on Twitter, though, because every single, if you search Pachinko, the hashtag, it's all email hole stands. So it's kind of hard to like mm. to sort through all that. But, you know, that's yeah. what you get when you hire rom-com king of Korea to like play your, your bad boy love interest. <sighs> okay. <laughs> I, I, I am forewarned. <laughs> Do. All right. Um, before we get to our Do We Want This segment, we do need to check in with our podcast within the podcast, Go Asian, because episode, was it four, mm-hmm. of, four. of Top Chef Houston um, came out? And so far, so good. Four, all four. Wait, did we lose yeah. anybody? Nope. Nope. We, we yeah. almost did. All four Asians, remaining Asians are still in the running. Um, this episode was interesting. We had our first molecular gastronomy tinged episode um with the doppelganger challenge with a quick fire that was chicken and waffles which is pretty uh yes well it wasn't chicken and waffles actually it was someone oh. uh jay did add chicken to her 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 biscuit so oh, it was, was a, a biscuit oh biscuit challenge right 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 anyways the winner of the quick fire <laughs> challenge is none other than our favorite covid boy we gotta give him some props man it's like <laughs> this man is like at first i was like oh man because we're we're all local here in LA. Our our local representative is this guy who can't taste anything as a chef, but he is really putting in the effort, and he's like winning me over. I'm like rooting for him now. And yeah, and I and I don't know. Again, I feel like in a way because he doesn't have taste, he's really like uh, 
firing everything else on the cylinders just in order to like really make up for it. So he's thinking through his flavor profiles. He's thinking through um, his techniques and things like that and being very creative because the one, what he won for the biscuit was not just making a great biscuit, but he also made an ostrich burger sausage um, with it. And he fried some cheese. I was just like, and even Padma had to be like, I can't, I can't resist. Like, you know, you, you went there and it worked. So uh, I have to give him a lot of credit for that. So um, yeah, he yeah. he won the molecular gastronomy. Yeah. So the elimination challenge was basically a doppelganger challenge. Create two different dishes that taste different but look alike. Which that's a, a lot crazy of ass a challenge, by the way. That's just insane. Like it's kind of mean, right? Yeah. Like, and there was a double elimination. It's funny. Which like <laughs> extra stakes. Um, Jackson as the winner of the quick fire, he got to choose his partner. And so he chose Buddha because Buddha yes. comes from like a molecular gastronomy yeah. um, background. Um, and he did it because they knew that the guest judge was Wadi Dufresne. So, of course, it's going to mm-hmm. be like a molecular gastronomy challenge. And it worked out for him because Buddha and Jackson had the top dishes of the of the competition. So Jackson Kolb, our COVID boy who can't taste, got a double victory in this episode. Yeah. And, and what I do agree that they're the ones who should have won because uh, from what I could tell... You know, um, each of them did one savory. No, one did a savory, one did a, a, a dessert and they looked identical. But even on its own, the the savory one was already ingenious because it was a takeoff of like lox and bagels, you know, an everything bagel. And then but it didn't look like it. So it just uses the flavor profile. And I was like, that's brilliant. And they were, you know, you can tell the judges were like really into that, too. Um, and then, and then, of course, to mimic it almost identically w- with the dessert, but have totally different flavors. I was like, "Yeah, that's kind of brilliant," and it make it look gorgeous because it was actually very attractive. Yeah. Um, so I was actually very pleased with that. It was it's interesting because like I've only been the victim of like some like half assed like fake food where <laughs> you know like you you think you're getting a tuna um, sushi, but it's actually a piece of tomato. And I was oh. very mad about that. No, that's not a good switch. <laughs> oh, that was so pissed. So the, pissed. Uh, the 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 Asian in me is like, how dare you try to cheat me of uh-huh. my of you? Oh my god, I hated it. I was just like, I almost wanted to throw it. I was so mad, but <laughs> but I was at work, so no. Yeah, um. <laughs> well, go Asian. Our 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 guy Buddha got the win, but um, we almost lost. Um, Joe. Joe at the bottom. She's been kind of inconsistent for a few episodes. So, yeah. Uh, also, Evelyn, um, who was her partner, who also been on the bottom before. Um, and she's our she's my Houston girl who yeah. knows Vietnamese flavors. <laughs> Who's totally yes. the Vietnamese food. Yeah. And, and I'm like, Evelyn, you're making me. It's so hard for me to support you. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh. Uh, But in the end, we lost um, Robert and Sarah. Um, so poor one out for Robert, who Robert. you know had a good first episode, but was always mm-hmm. kind of like unsure of himself. After that, yeah, yeah, and then yeah. Sarah, the last white girl of the challenge. Now all we have left is Jackson and um, Noma guy. Noma guy, yeah, yeah. Also, if I'm gonna root for one white guy, it's gonna, it's gonna, be, gonna be my homie with the with the COVID <laughs> right? can't smell or taste the local boy. Because you know what, I bet you that, that COVID really humbled him. Because he's like, I, you know, I'm the first one to be like this straight white man is super annoying, but I find him very like charming. Yes, I think striving helps. Having to humble yourself and like realize that you don't know shit. 
Um, yeah. Yeah. He definitely also gives like super gooper energy, which I, I enjoy. <gasps> yes. I hope they don't do the challenge where they have to identify flavors. Oh. How's, oh, I hope they do. Well, oh I, my God. Because they don't fair? know. He, he does, they don't know he matter. has COVID, right? That he had COVID and doesn't have his full set. Don't they know? Back. I mean, I'm sure the producers know because they do the confessions. Yeah. But, but do the judges but, but know? But do the judges know? But the judges are the one know. who administered the. Oh, I want I that test so know. bad. <laughs> LOL. LOL. I can't wait. I am fascinated by this guy. I mean, I'm still rooting for my Asians, but I'm also rooting for COVID boy. It's just good TV. I think in lieu of real, like, kind of petty drama, I think this is, like, the next best thing. Yeah. And I'm, I'm with it. I'm with it. <laughs> All right. On that note, Go Asian continues into next week. Um, four out of five Asians still in the running. So um, we'll keep we'll keep following them. Hopefully none of them, you know, screw up. <sighs> when we come back, we're going to go over the latest Asian American entertainment news in our monthly news segment, Do We Want This? Stick around. Mm, but we're still here and we're going strong. It's an exciting time in Asian America. There are more movies, TV shows, books, and music reflecting us than ever. But all of these represent just a small slice of Asian American culture and experiences. So what do we do? Tell more slices. Asian Americana is a show that explores these slices of distinctly Asian American culture and history. We've talked about how Chinese Americans built California's Sacramento Delta, the art scene turns gallery institution giant robot, a play that explores the lost Cambodian pop music of the 60s and 70s, and, of course, Boba, just to name a few stories. You can find Asian Americana at asianamericana.com or on your podcast app. And welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club. It is the end of March, which means it's time once again for our monthly Asian American Entertainment News Check-In. Do we want this? Where we talk about the latest news and ask ourselves if we want this. Um, let's start with Han. What's our first story? <laughs> oh, when we're talking about the reality shows that you watch just because you can turn your brain off, um, this falls right in that category um, in many ways. Basically, um, Netflix announced that it is upping all of its reality show dating shows so (laughs) it's so much it is so much so love is blind which you know i watched the second season i also watched love is blind japan which is excellent and then i'm I'm starting to watch love is blind brazil so they're going they upped it for season five through season five um the third season which they are filming right now is in dallas texas so i'm (gasps) expecting since Season two gave us three Asians. <laughs> I'm hoping we will have more Asians in Dallas, Texas, because there's actually quite a few uh, Koreans. Like, my friend lives in Dallas. Um, and, like, not cursed ones. Well, they owe us for Shake. Well, Shake made it interesting. He made it interesting. Dallas is the rich Asians, though. You got the rich yeah. Vietnamese, the rich Koreans, like the church Koreans. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Ooh, that sounds messy and great. Okay. Yeah. That's, 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 you pit, you sold me. You so sold that's me. Love is Blind. There's also going to be a Love is Blind after the altar. So we're checking out in season two after they've been married for a bit, not just after they've seen the special, the show. Um, they're also um, upping. So Love on the Spectrum is an Australian dating show, um, but not like, well, it's it's set in the real world. It's not like manufactured uh, situations. Um, but for everyone who is on the spectrum, my biggest issue with that show, even though I've watched both seasons, 
and it's very heartwarming. And I think it's useful to understand like the when they talk about spectrum, like everyone has a range of like the way they are comfortable and date and talk and whatever on the show. So that's very helpful. But what I had an issue with was they were predominantly all white um, when I was watching the Australian version. So I was like, you're lucky you have a nice accent because it's fun. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm so I'm very interested. They're going to make an American version. So they kind of have to have it um, be multicultural, which Netflix does pretty well when it's in America. Right. Um, so that is very cool. But Here's another exciting thing is new season of Indian matchmaking. Ooh, yeah. We get we got Seema Auntie back meddling. Oh my god. Oh my god, I'm so excited. That is actually oh very god. exciting to me. And like already season 1 was so messy, but it was so fun and make oh, look, it'd be kind of interesting if she got shake. I don't know. No. Oh, oh my god, the cro- Oh my god, that's just that that is that is like the Best and worst idea I've ever heard. Oh my god, I don't know how to feel. <laughs> yeah. So wait, wait, but wait, there's more. Um, so there's a Jewish matchmaking, which I think will be very interesting too, because I I think we do need more Jew- specifically Jewish content, so people are better about Jewish people. We don't need any anti semitism. Um, so I think that'll be very interesting. Also, if they talk about maybe some people who don't want to date in the faith or outside the faith, you know, that's a big question with all of these shows, right? Um, but, uh, you know, my sort of suggestion when it came to Indian matchmaking about having Shake on, there's actually a really big show uh, that is untitled where all the people from all the shows, Too Hot to Handle, Love is Blind, The Circle, and Selling Tampa, they're all going to go on a show. Um what is the point of the show? Is is it like Bachelor in Paradise? Is it like to date each other or it, to like win money? Yes, it, it is a perfect match dating show. But and Nick Lachey is also bringing it together. So that's obviously that Nick is, Lachey. Who I, who, you know, my 2000, what, 19, 2018 Han did not know that he would be the new MCU of Netflix. Uh, the Lachey's. But apparently that is true. Uh, it is untitled so far, but like I forgot who each of the people are that they've mentioned. But like so far, I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to watch that. But I, I will, um, <laughs> to be honest. And then because um, I already watched the other show that uh, that lo- spun off from Love is Blind called The Ultimatum, which is couples who one person wants to get married and the other one doesn't. So they all go to this place and they mix and match each other. And they so they have a fake marriage with a new person for three weeks just to see if they get along with them better. And in that three weeks, they start to understand like, oh, maybe I need to uh, communicate more with this other person, like my partner. Or why is this person so much better? <laughs> you know. And then you do three weeks with your actual partner. And then at the end of that, you decide whether or not to marry. So I watched that one already. It's on screeners, but it's not has released. That sounds pretty fucked up, to be honest. It is pretty <laughs> fucked up. Um, and there are a couple twists, but it, I, there's a lot of just yeah. I've just realized has Netflix just become the new VH1? Kind of. I but th- like it's but it's like, good. Like, <laughs> like, I mean, okay, <laughs> we have to ask: Do we want this? Right? And do I feel like this. Well, I want it. Okay. Yes. Yes. So, do we want? The uh, the bigger MCU of dating Lachey's uh, so, <laughs> universe. Okay, yeah, like, I personally, not really, because it's not my thing. But I know collectively, we as in, like, the people, they desire this stuff. I saw, I was reading this article that you pulled up, and there's another show that's going to be called Dated and Related. 
Yes. No. Where... No. <laughs> no. Your siblings. Of siblings join together to find each other's perfect match. This is not okay. That is less gross than what it. Yes. This is not Lannister. This is not Lannisters. <laughs> yes. You know. Um. This is they pick for you. They don't date you. <laughs> so just to be clear. Um. Also, there's going to be a Love Is Blind queer season. So I'm all about this. I know at some point I will like get my fill of it. But for right now, it's always the perfect thing to watch when I'm doing other things because I don't have to look at the screen. I don't have to read subtitles. <laughs> I don't have to miss something where it's a montage. You know, it's just like, it's so easy. I mean, I know people have been clamoring for a season two of Indian matchmaking. That was like a surprise yes. hit that everyone ended up loving because, yeah. the, you know, the, the concept itself, the concept of all these shows are pretty cringe, let's be honest. But yes, like, yes. Sometimes yes. they transcend that cringe. And sometimes like they live a car up to wreck. It. It's like a car wreck, Marvin. You can't, you can't look away. You must watch. You must watch it unfold. I always try to figure out, like, what's the difference between the shows, the reality dating shows I watch and the ones I can't watch? Because I still can't watch uh, Nine Day Fiance or Married at First Sight. Like, I've tried them and I'm just like, no, nope. but I do love Love Island. <laughs> so, I do love Love Island. Yeah. But, like, Love Island is like the stakes are really low because they're all like dumb, hot 20 year olds. Like, you yeah. know, they're going to be fine at the end of the day. Some of these things, I was like, oh no, you have a, you're like, you think, oh, you're trying to find love. No, don't, don't with this dude. He's or, terrible. Don't get married to him. Yeah. Or, you know, that is this horrible dude or get deported. Like, I don't know. Like, there's some yeah, weird no, stuff. That's sad. That is very sad. So, do we want this? Marvin, you said your piece, right? Uh, personally. I mean, we, like the collective royal we, yes. I will I will concede, concede to the people's yeah, will. To the people's will. As I will say, yeah. I think it's just really funny, though, because you get this, like, we're going to renew the slit, and here's all this other ridiculous stuff simultaneously, <laughs> like, beloved classic canceled, beloved classic canceled, canceled, babysitters too yeah. canceled, eight, like, everything else canceled. You're like, wow, you're just slowly turning into VH1. Okay, that's the strategy, and it works. But yeah, so I, in general, like, if people are going to watch it, then and if they're, they're going to use this opportunity to, like, actually have more inclusive casting and, like, kind of make some points, and maybe it creates conversations because, you know, as a person, <laughs> as a person who is still single and fearful of dating because everyone's horrible, um, it kind of like makes me think that other people are in the same boat as I am. You know? Who knew that we needed trashy dating shows to bring <laughs> us together and solve racism? Or you know yeah. what? Just show me hot, dumb idiots. I'm fine with that, too. OK, so that's uh, my news. What, <laughs> yeah. What's the next one? All right, Jess, what's our next story? Um, in the world of narrative television, what's that? <laughs> it's what used to be on TV. On uh, Joseph uh, is you know coming along. The new sitcom, ABC sitcom from Joe Coy, is coming along. We have some new cast announcements, including friend of the friend of the pod, Tess Paras. Um, and you know it looks like a fun Filipino family romp. So, do we want this? Yes. Um, I think it's finally time Like Crazy Rich Asians gave us a peripheral Filipino family that we can like relate to. Now it's time now it's the time to put them front and center. And I mean, full disclosure, I am not the biggest fan of Joe Coy's comedy, but I think his style of comedy translates perfectly to like yeah, sitcom and, television. And and we know the formula works, right? Like crazy <laughs> family, multi-generational family, you know, like it 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 works if it's done right. Um, and this will have a, you know, 
a very got a ride hard for the adopted hente or you know the ones who adopted <laughs> mm-hmm. me you know got a ride hard for the for the filipino fam and i'm just gonna say have a little bit of a tangent have you seen like chelsea handler's like social media she down bad she down bad for joe koi she out there <laughs> skiing with a filipino flag on her back that says koi she down bad okay like filipino men are dangerous you know it's like it's it's like they're gonna love you and it's gonna turn out really great or they're gonna love you it's gonna be like the worst thing that's ever happened to you just be careful it's like a 50 50 <laughs> um but 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 if it's the if it's like the love you passionately in a good way, highly recommend. Um, Are you speaking yes, from experience? I am 100% <laughs> speaking from experience and seeing the peripheries. But yes, I think, you know, it has the, and I do think, I think the sitcom's back, right? The broad, the network mm-hmm. sitcom's back. Abbott Elementary proved that it's still viable, that it can still be fresh and fun and important and that, you know, we can be sit on our high thrones of bougie prestige TV, but at the end of the day, like a network comedy that your whole fucking family can watch together is like kind of unbeatable. Yeah. And you know, big messy family sitcoms always great. Um, and there's no better big messy family from like the Asian side than like Southeast Asian big messy families, right? Yeah, because the Chinese people we just repress our feelings and no one talks about it. Like people can die and everyone's like stoic. But like, you know, Someone says something around to Ate Princess, and it's it's World War Three. It's World War Three. Yeah, this one sounds exciting to me. Like just yeah. the oh, description of we, the mom. Can we just go through the names though? Yes, like, the mom, <laughs> yes. the fictional names. Like this is already great. Like okay, so we got Joseph, which is you know Joseph, but Joseph. And then you have a uh, Kimmy Ballero is going to be playing Geraldine with the G, his sister. Great name. Mm-hmm. Short goes by Jerry. Uh, Jerry is married to someone. Uh, Jerry's married to a white husband named Seth who loves Filipino culture. Comedy <laughs> gold. We have uh, Tess who's going to play Cheryl, Joe's newly divorced ex-wife. Uh, you know, I, I could hear the jokes right themselves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I hope there's so many more G- J names. There's going to be a million J names. Like, I want a revolving door. of Like, think of all the great cameos, right? Let's get Lou Diamond Phillips. Let's get uh, Reggie Lee. Mm-hmm. They're all going to play cousins with a J name. We're going to go through Jandrew to like... <laughs> Jose, you know, like like the jokes are themselves. It's gonna be great. I'm excited. Leia Salonga better be in here. Um, basically the entire cast, whoever was one time in Josh Chan's family and <laughs> Crazy Rich Asians needs to be in here. I want all my friends to be in here. Carlin should be in here. Darren Chris needs to be in here. Just just get all of them in here. Seven seasons so we can get every single cameo we need. Liza Lapira. Love her. Yes. Mm-hmm. So many. Uh who there's some other like her needs to come make yes. an appearance. Sweet Saweetie needs to make an appearance. And um, uh, of course the other reason why selfishly I want some of these things to happen is when I get swag or their parties related to them. So that way I can get the, either the food or the whatever that's related. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I would just like a whole bunch of lupia, please. Thank you. Olivia Rodrigo needs Han. to be in here. <laughs> just do it for me. Um, all right our next story um i didn't know there was going to be a quant- actually i feel like i didn't know there was going to be a quantum leap reboot yeah. or like it's not a reboot it's a sequel right it's a sequel to the original series um taking place 30 years after dr sam beckett stepped into the quantum leap accelerator and vanished uh, now a new team has been assembled to restart the program in hopes of understanding the mysteries behind the machine and the man who created it 
Um, and I bring this up because they cast the lead for this new iteration of Quantum Leap, and it is Raymond Lee, um, who this is like his first like starring starring role, right? This and, is the first broadcast drama that's gonna have an Asian male protagonist in a very mm. very long time. Drama, one hour drama. So we've had some comedies. When was the last? Fresh off the boat, everything. Yeah. It was probably Russell Wong in this like very short lived series in the nineties. Oh, and we had Samuel Hung as martial law, which does yes, that count? Yes. Yeah. I think that was a thirty minute. Oh. Was that thirty minutes? Well How long was Walker Texas Ranger? Because they were kind of like contemporaries, right? Wasn't martial law like a spin-off of Walker Texas Ranger or something? Yeah. Oh, sorry. It was four television films that were on TV but like split up. So like they were kind of like old school mini stories. So that Russell Wong, I don't know if that counts. But yeah, yeah, martial law, the show Mm -hmm. was in the 90s. Yeah, it was was like people were excited because he was like a Jackie Chan, you know, sort of like pal. And, and but he could actually fight, but he also looked like the average Joe with a belly, which is that great. That was a good show, I gotta say. I enjoyed oh, it, it. Was it was one hour? Okay, so that was the <laughs> last time we had Asian male as number one on the Kashi yeah. on the broadcast network, yeah, yeah. broadcast show. Um, so there have been some other non-broadcast shows that have Asian male two handers, even. But yeah, it's and, and, it's, and Raymond Lee's been deals. on primetime television for years now, but always as like kind of a secondary character mm-hmm. or like a, mm-hmm. a co-star. So yeah. he makes a little cameo in Lost City too. <laughs> oh, Officer Gomez, I see. Oh, I'm, oh, he's gonna be a Top Gun Maverick. <gasps> yes, yes. <laughs> Is that finally coming out? I I, I don't know when it's gonna come today. out. I think, I'm very excited. I think they're just trying to make sure that they get full theatrical, so they're probably waiting a little bit to see if Omicron like. 3.0. Release, release the, yeah. release the uh, Top Gun, and and like before, like Miles Teller digs himself into a weirder hole. Please let me just enjoy this movie. <laughs> yes, yes. All anyway, right. but Quantum Leap, do we want this? Yes. Oh my god, I need. I hope they bring back original Quantum Leap dude to like also wrap up his story. Scott Bakula. Oh, He's going to he be in got... like the finale. I feel like. Yeah. Wait, right. is Scott Bakula a bad person though? Uh, you mean Batman t- uh, trademark? You know, um, I don't think so. Like, has he done some shady shit, or am I mixing him with another old school? Like, oh, you are mixing movie. him up with Scott Bio, I think. Bale? I am mixing him with Scott Bale. Bale yes. Yeah. Okay. So, for all I know, and for all intents and purposes, Scott Bakula seems fine. I would like him to wrap up the store. I want to see him nicely at home, having stopped quantum leaping at some point. <laughs> Uh, if nothing for that, I mean, props to Raymond Lee. So happy for you. We'll watch the show. I love a good time travel show. But like, please, please let this man go home. Yeah. I mean, Scott yeah. Beckler, he's busy NCISing, right? Or is he? Is that oh, funny? I mean, yes. Yes. Yeah. And he's making shit tons of money on that. So good for him. Yeah. I I absolutely want this because this is also what I mean by like, we don't, we don't need to have the Asian in all just in sitcoms, we can just start branching out and do this nice, interesting genre TV show. I, I kind of miss these kind of ridiculous, not quite sci-fi, you know, just excuses to like show other things type of uh, TV shows, kind of like Voyagers was back in the day that also traveled through time. But um, and and, and in, in, sort of in the <laughs> same way, like Doctor Who sometimes isn't really a sci-fi show. It's just an excuse to like put on a costume. So, uh, yeah, I think Quantum Leap I am also curious to see how they will update it because we are more sophisticated now in the way we think about things. 
um, yeah. and show sci-fi and talk about I it. I am amused because um, Raymond Lee seems like the perfect mix of like, you, you can see him as like an action guy because he's a pretty you know, well-built dude. But mm-hmm. I can also believe that he's also a quantum physicist, right? Yes. 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 I think that's a very good way to put it. You you believe both sides. Yeah. he's when When we talk about how much TV he's done, he, you know, and a lot of them, as we say, are in supporting roles, but they're also in really good shows. Like he was in Kevin Can F himself um, and he was kind of like the side piece. But <laughs> uh, but it was still a very interesting show. So he's been doing some good work. Uh, and I'm very glad that we can see him be a lead. Like all the scenes. So exciting. Yeah. As he should. As he should. <laughs> all right. Han, what's our next story? All right. So. Um, perhaps you might have remembered I talked about this YA book, but Sunny Song Will Never Be Famous is a YA book by Suzanne Park. Um, she, of course, is a very prolific novelist, has done a lot of fun things, a lot of rom-coms, some of them YA, some of them for adults. But uh, this one in particular is being adapted by Soul Street, uh, which is the production company, was it William Lee? Yeah, William Lee's production company. Production company. He uh, is the first book he's going to be adapting is Want by Cindy Pon. Um, So this is his second one. And so I'm like, oh, the way. Yes, thank you. Um, But the premise of it is, you know, a Korean-American social media influencer called Sunny. She has kind of a big fiasco when she's influencing uh, they call it like Brownie Gate. It has to do with brownies. Uh, she's and her mom also is. Uh, you know, they she has opinions anyway. Um, so, but in order because of that, and she seems to be more involved with her social media influencing than she is in at school. Like literally, she has things scheduled to go up when she's at school. So, like all the older adults are like, "What the fuck? Why is she doing this at school?" She's like, "No, I'm not. I just scheduled it." Um, but they don't understand that. Anyway, so something really bad happens or in their parents' eyes bad. So she gets shipped off to this digital detox summer camp where, you know, you not just take away all of the devices, but then you have to deal with all these other influencers, which is really interesting because there's some really annoying influencers there. But then they have to do tasks that are very old school camp stuff, which is also interesting. Um, So while she's being forced to disconnect, she makes a connection with a alarmingly cute farm boy. That's the way they say it. Anyway, um, so I th- I found the book when I read it very very cute. Um, good doctors, uh, William Lee, as we said, he's the producer. So do we want this? Um, yeah, I, I I am a big fan of how William Lee is running his Soul Street Impression Company, like kind of snapping up these YA um, Asian American novels. So you know, as the as the host of an Asian American book club, it's really cool to see books that we've covered get options for adaptations um this is going to be a movie right it's not a series which is cool like um i think no we, we've had a bunch of asian american ya rom-coms but i don't think we've had a summer camp one right i think the closest thing we've had is like babysitter's club like the finale yeah i kind of missed the summer camp sort of like genre trope um in general for kids uh and ya you're right yeah. it's been a while <laughs> But yeah, no, I'm excited for <laughs> I'm excited for Sunny Song. Um, was it Sunny Song? We'll Can't never be, be famous. I'm I'm just I'm excited about what William Lee and his team is doing over there at Soul Street. Um, I think um, they are walking the walk and talking the talk, which is great. And it seems like um, they're. Do you hear they also are developing a Peeps movie? 
about the a peeps the marshmallow? Movie? Yes, about the marshmallow but candy peeps, peeps. are gross and nasty. They're making a movie. William Lee's company's making a movie. Is it going to be like a peeps slam piece? Because I think they should, all the peeps should just have terrible personalities and just be horrible people to reflect their horrible taste. Oh. <laughs> oh, tell us how you really <laughs> feel about. I've literally never eaten a peep. <laughs> don't do it. I've never eaten it either. And I know I should don't this be do the it. Should be th- this be the Easter that I eat it? <laughs> and, no. And then I can tell you. You can, and then you can uh, you can come back and say if you agree with me or not. Yeah, but I'm telling you right now, it's like it is. I mean, sure, go. I'm sure we'll make a ton of money. It's gonna be a great feel good children's uh, story. And if it sells more peeps, I guess you know ultimately Soul Street is evil. I guess is what I'm going at. If well, you know what? If t- Sometimes you just gotta get the money, right? So you can make more Asian things. That's true. Anyway, that's interesting. Anyways, all right. All right. Jess, what's our next story? Speaking of crazy IP projects, John Chu of In the Heights and Crazy Rich Asians is going to direct an animated picture written by Emily V. Gordon of Big Sick Fame about Play-Doh. They are making a Play-Doh movie. Yes, that Play-Doh. Can I just read you the quote that their publicist said to sent to deadline because it's like the most I am on the edge of my seat for this quote (laughs) the team looks forward to bringing the audience a moldable pliable iconically scented story about the importance of imagination never mind hate this so much I mean, it is hilarious. Again, like I am very uh, pro wild adaptations. I think Lego Movie just convinced me that you can really do whatever you want if you are brave enough. Uh, I don't think we've reached quite the heights of Lego Movie since Lego Movie, but I'm willing to give any random child property a chance. I, I have a question. So, do we want this? Well, yes. Okay. okay. I'm I'm open. <laughs> I agree. I agree that Legos. Uh, made it more possible for storytelling. I think Play-Doh is actually pliable. So it, I think there could be some interesting things going on there. But I do have a question. Is it really I- iconically scented? <laughs> yeah, Play-Doh smells a certain way. They have a smell. For yeah, pe- they do. Okay. They have a smell. For people who could smell well, I guess you say yes. <laughs> um, because at first when you read it, I was like, iconically sentient? And I was like, what? Is this sentient? I mean, they're probably sentient in this movie. <laughs> Probably I mean, for me, in relation to the aforementioned Peeps movie, I definitely want this more than the Peeps movie. And John Chu directing this has piqued my interest because John Chu has he done animation before? I don't know. I mean, I guess not. But you know, he's he is very good in the movement, right? Like, yeah, movement I mean, and it's probably gonna be very musical, like very and color. Kinetic. Like, I, I feel yeah. like. You know, homie hasn't let me down yet. So, in in like in the in the visual storytelling or storytelling aspects, uh, I'm like, I'll give it a shot. And I did really like Big Sick. Um, so I'm just so perturbed. Like, what do you think the pitch is? Like, so we open up. It's a windy day. Their father has just died, and what is on the floor of the funeral home? But a tub of Play-Doh. I don't know. Like, what is? <laughs> I mean, the only every single pitch I can formulate in my head. It's just Lego movie. So I don't I really don't Well, know. you know Play-Doh at some point they're going to have to transfer some piece of like print. Um <laughs> that's that's like, silly putty. That's not Play-Doh. I don't can you do it Play-Doh? Play-Doh doesn't do that. Ah. Uh, well, okay, it will be Play-Doh you like squeeze, squeeze through through, through shapes. You you have that. Yeah. 
I guess, yeah, my main question is, is this going to be like Lego movie where it's like a bunch of IPs or is it going to be like, is it going to be like a Play-Doh land or is it going to be like Play-Dohs in the real world? Remains Who knows? We can only, we can only wait. Cause let me tell you that there, I think some, I don't, I have not really met, watched a movie where like putting it in the real world turned out super well. Um, AKA I watched Tom and Jerry, the movie and it was so bad. But, but you Sonic. watched that many times because didn't your parents love it? My parents loved it. So I watched <laughs> it with them and they were like not that impressed because it was not about Tom and Jerry. It was about Chloe Moretz and Colin Joe's getting married. Not, not to each other. Not to each other. But counterpoint, Sonic the Hedgehog. I am very excited for Sonic 2 too. Yeah. But also, yeah, I mean, I, I'm down also just a little, a little also more of a tangent, but like this article is also just crammed with a bunch of other like I, updates on IP movies. Like, I forgot the Dungeons and Dragons movie is coming out. Um, <laughs> yeah. Which has an amazing cast. A hot cast? Like a, the hottest cast ever. Like Chris Pine, Reche Jean Page, Hugh Grant, Michelle Rodriguez, all great yeah. act, like fun mm-hmm. personalities, actors. Mm-hmm. They're like giving us an update on Transformers. Yes, they're still making them. We're getting another Power Rangers, something or the other. Oh, they're going to do the Magic the Gathering animated series. I was just like, they just active, other active development includes Ouija, Clue, which don't touch the original, yeah. perfect, and Mousetrap, which I feel like they did make a. A similar movie to Mousetrap, like way back mm-hmm. when that I watched as a kid. Yeah. Oh, you're but, talking you know, about that. Um, was it called Mousetrap or was it the Mouse Hunt? Mouse Hunt, maybe. Um, I remember, but like you know, it's same concept. You're hunting a rodent. Yeah, it was Mouse Hunt. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm inexplicably excited for this Play-Doh movie. <laughs> um, the potential of it. Yeah. You know, I'll reserve judgment once I actually see what it's about. Um, but you know, uh, I love Lego movies, so I will maybe, allow it. Yeah. Until they prove me wrong. <laughs> All right. Our last story of the month is actually pretty big. Um, so, yeah. Gemma Chan and producer Nina Yang Monjovi are teaming together with Working Title Films to develop a biopic of Anna Mae Wong. Um, Gemma Chan, of course, is the rising star. I, get, I can see Gemma as like, it's a Anna good Mae fit. Wong, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it fits. She, you know, she was also anime. Wong spoke with this like British affectation mm. for her professional life and on-screen persona. So you know, she do- probably doesn't even have to change her accent, Gemma. Yeah, <laughs> uh, which is fun. And you know, she's paid homage to Gemma has paid homage to anime Wong at the Met Gala. You know, anime Wong has become kind of like the central early figure, like inspirational figure. But it's just really ironic because. No one has watched her movies. Not no one. Yeah, no one. Yeah. Like I have not even watched her movies, and I study this. And I've watched like I've watched Sesu Hayakawa mm-hmm. movies before. I've watched some older stuff. Like yeah, in that's my studies. Hot, right? For yeah, s- hot. For some reason, <laughs> like like I don't know one person, even in my circles or the circles we run in, maybe except like Nancy, who is you know <laughs> in the professor academic world, who has like watched a single anime Wong film. Yeah. <laughs> So this film will essentially be the definitive portrayal of anime Wong because we actually do not have a, like we as a public do not have an actual relationship with her. We have a relationship with the idea of her or like the figure of her, but not like her in the contemporary yeah. process. So it'll be interesting yeah. about what this film does. Yeah. I mean, I think the only, the, the most recent thing surrounding her was like, she was a side character in, was it Hollywood? Yes, Hollywood, which is um, a really weird, bad show. Um, well, I don't know if it's bad, but it's a very weird <laughs> show 
because it's a f- almost sorry Ryan Murphy. It's a fantasy of what Hollywood could be. So yeah, yeah. it's yeah. rewriting history. Yes, yeah. and um, so this is probably going to be a little more sad because she faced a lot of racism. Yeah, and that is why she went to Europe. But I mean, and... you're you're right. The two things I know about her are the things that she had missed opportunities for, which was the Good Earth. You know, she 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 lost to a white woman to play a Chinese woman. Wound up winning the Oscar for that role. Yes, yes, uh, Louise Rayner. Um, and then uh, Flower Drum Song, like she was supposed mm. to be there. And then then she died. So it was kind of like <laughs> there's so much like like I only know of the things that she didn't do in some ways. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly, exactly. Which is a very weird way to frame. Or an unfortunate way. I understand yeah. why. It just seems like a very unfortunate like legacy, right? Way to frame a legacy. So hopefully, you know, this one, this this movie, which with you know being produced by superstar producer Nina Yanjovi, yeah, Jovi, that's the other will, part, and and starring, yeah, I mean, she does fantastic movies, right? Yeah, Nina, um, Nina Jovi does- is um, best known as the producing partner of Forrest Whitaker, and has been behind yes. a ton of really great movies. She's probably the person who discovered Ryan Coogler when she um, helped Discover produce Coogler discovered Chloe Zhao yeah which is a, I mean if your entire career if you said hey I basically gave Ryan Coogler his first movie and I gave Chloe Zhao her first movie you could hang your hat on that yeah and I know every time she's spoken at like an Asian American entertainment event everyone's always asking her when are you going to make an Asian American movie because she's so involved in like like African American like mm-hmm. cinema, she's she's always said, "I'm just waiting for the right story to come along, waiting for the, the right script and the right project." And I'm excited to see that she, um, I guess, finally found it. And I guess to ask the question, do we want this? Obviously, we super want this because, I mean, anime Wong story. I, I agree. It's it's we only know about the parts about her story that's kind of like what she ended up not being able to do because of the way Hollywood was set up because of anti-miscegenation laws and, and all that. And I think it's long overdue. And I think this is like, if there's anybody I would trust to make this film, it's Nina Yang Bon Jovi. Yeah, I'm super excited. I also hope that this inspires the Sesue Hayakawa movie. <laughs> uh, I find them both fascinating because I actually know very little about each of them. Just know kind of more of the specter of who they are than the actual yeah. person. I mean, do you think he'll be in the film? Because they're kind of contemporaries, They right? kind of are, but have they ever run into each other? I'm trying to look at their... I'm trying to cross-reference yes. their um, they, studios. They did a movie together, and then Anna May-, May Wong was also famously good friends with Paul Robeson. Oh. So I hope he's a character as well, which would also make sense um, um, with, with, with Nina's connections. I think that'd be an interesting conversation. Honestly, if you just did a whole movie just about their friendship, mm-hmm. like in that very like focused lens way, I think that would be so fascinating because they were both gallivanting around Europe around the same time because they were, you know, blacklisted or not given opportunities in America. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were both very committed to a, a, you know, the message of social justice. So that's, you know, fascinating. I, I, I hope we're all gonna, I hope it inspires just more accessibility for like anime Wong stuff. I know it's really hard to kind of get people to care about like silent films, you know, films from like the 20s. Honestly, I don't want to watch Good Earth again. It's like very, oh yeah, no. <laughs> it's like, like that's not stuff we want to watch, but some things like, um, you know, and she's played a lot, she played a lot of Dragon Ladies and she played a lot of, you know, like, like side. Like oriental side pieces mm-hmm. and seductresses. Yeah. 
I mean, um, it's what was available yeah. at the it time. It is, yeah, exactly. So that, I, I can understand why it's not like necessarily the most fun to revisit that like casually, right? Like, it's not like you get to revisit like Catherine Hepburn bringing a baby or like, <laughs> you know, 42nd Street or like anything like that. It's, it's, yeah. it's a tough, it's a tough filmography to kind of enjoyably watch. And that's just also the early sound film. So even those of that era aren't that great because I've definitely watched some. Like, I've watched some silent films, but I've watched the early sound films and they're they're still very rough, you know? Um, so in But wasn't t- she always on record for us being, like, one of the better silent actors? Well, yes. Um, and But there, but also a silent actor is a lot of uh, sort of mugging, you know? <laughs> um, so, like, I, silent, silent films are just interesting to you know from a historical point of view you just have to you just have to change your frame of reference and understand like how like just understand how to watch that yeah i love silent films i think they're really fascinating and a good story is a good story like if you Mm -hmm. are able to and i've watched i've watched like a lot in my in my academic career so so they're different they're just different yeah Yeah. um they're like as a kid i watched the really long one (laughs) it is very impressive though when you watch some of these and you're like oh that is the first time they did that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, you kind of forget. You're like, and like, oh, this is all done. Practical effects. Mm-hmm. You're, they're cutting film. They're literally cutting film to edit this yeah. stuff. I like like it that's when, insane. Yeah, I like it when they do, like, magical things. Like, someone appears, and then, like, you know, yeah. like, that effect yeah. was just cutting the yeah. film together. Yeah. Anyway. The other thing that I'm really excited about this um, project is, is because, because it's set in the silent film era slash early talkies era it is set in probably one of my favorite like aesthetic mm. um time periods which is post-war los angeles right? like so, 20s like 40s, 40s. 50s, oh, okay so i didn't know exactly lots of it. suits lots of um, cool hats <laughs> oh the fashion's gonna be great I, I, yeah. I do love that era it's what probably also one of my favorite film eras um regarding you know just disregarding all the other problematic things about the films but like, yeah, I did like early um, Catherine Hepburn and uh, those people. So it, it was it was iconic. Yeah. Yep. Excited to eventually see like the first single stills from this. Excited to see casting, you know, who's going to be attached to direct and write. And, you know, um, just everything Nina touches is gold. So I'm excited that she's at the home. And yeah, looking forward to the anime Wong film coming to you. What? probably a 2028 or something oh right? god i hope it doesn't take that long yeah it's gonna uh we'll see yeah well exactly films take a long time yeah it's get get hype for a few years down the line. yeah go watch the go watch the uh whole filmography when all those random like museums or film archives start <laughs> like showing them you have time you have time yeah. all right and on that note that'll do it for this edition of do we want this um Jess Han, thanks again for joining me to go over the latest Asian American entertainment news. If people want to find out, if people want to find out more of your thoughts, where can they go? My trash takes are on Twitter at just you tweets, and I am at Anonymous. You can find me on Twitter at Marvin. You can find our show at Good Pop Club. We are a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective. Uh, check out our fellow Asian American hosted podcasts by going to the website podcastpotluck.com. And yeah, uh, I guess we'll be back next week to talk about Bridgerton. Um, I guess I'll yes. find out about bees and stuff, I guess. Um, <laughs> have you not watched any? <laughs> I have not started it yet. You're going to find out about bees and yearning, Marvin. <laughs> bees and yearning. The birds and the bee. Well, not, mm, not really. Kind of. 
All right. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. I'm Marvin. And I'm Rira. And we're the hosts of Books and Bulba, a book club and podcast dedicated to books by Asian and Asian American authors. Each month, we pick a book by an Asian author to read and discuss on the show. We read a variety of genres, including contemporary and historical fiction, sci-fi and fantasy, romance and cozy mysteries, and so much more. Our past book club picks have included Pachinko by Minjin Lee, Patron Saints of Nothing by Randy Ribeye, Grace of Kings by Ken Liu, and The Kiss Quotient by Helen Huang. Every month, we also go through the latest news in Asian American literature, as well as chat with some awesome Asian authors about their works. So whether you want to start reading for fun again or diversify your TBR list, we got your Asian literature cravings covered. For more info, check out our website at booksandboba.com, and you can listen to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and wherever you find your podcasts. Part of the Potluck Podcast Collective. 